Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Girly Bits. It's all about therapy and counselling. So yes, this week's episode is all about therapy and counselling. I myself, I've benefited quite a lot from counselling over the years. Um, I first reached out to a counsellor when... My mom was going through a horrible time in hospital when she was sick um, and being the eldest of two and not really knowing where to go or what to do. I found a counsellor super, super helpful, especially I always remember the the time and sorry to get morbid so early in the podcast, but I, I'm always honest on this. But I remember the time where we were coming up to the final couple of weeks of my mum's um, terminal cancer and I was going to this counsellor maybe once or twice a week. And the only way I can describe it is when I thought that I couldn't go on any longer and I couldn't face the things that I wanted to face or had to face, not that I wanted to face them, but that I had to do it. She helped me kind of pick me up a little bit and give me the strength and the tools to carry on. So I used to go to her for quite a long time. I did grief counselling with her um, and then on and off for a couple of years, whenever you'd feel the need to go back and just maybe get your get your brain in check, get your mental health in check, to talk about something that was on your mind, to try and get things off your chest. I know I recently went back to my counsellor for a couple of sessions because I'll be honest with you, I was really struggling with work. I felt pressured, I felt stressed um, and it was actually coming out in, in, in me physically. So I kind of thought to myself, right, okay, this is something I need to tackle myself. You know, I was having panic attacks. I was going to the doctor thinking that I had vertigo. I didn't know what was going on with me. Um, but in the end, it was extreme anxiety and it was all coming from work and the pressure I had on myself and what what way I was working and everything. So I think in that respect, if you are struggling, if you are finding things hard, I suppose the one thing to know is that there is always, always help. There's always help that you can go and avail of. So in saying that, I don't want to keep oversharing as I normally do on this podcast. But anyway, without further ado, it's my absolute pleasure to introduce Dr. Patricia Barber, a child and adult psychologist, uh, a chartered counselling psychologist, and she's going to tell us all about what she does. I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Dr. Patricia Barber. Of course, you're a um, child psychologist and a counsellor as well. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. I really, really appreciate it. No problem. Thanks very much for inviting me. Um, I suppose I've been listening along to the episodes before this now and um, it's just a pleasure to be invited. Oh, brilliant. Thank you so much. I suppose one of the reasons I wanted to get a therapist on is because I've had such a, a great experience with therapy. Um, and quite often people could be sitting at home and they're like, oh gosh, it's so daunting. How do I even think about finding a therapist? Or even, you know, I think they can build up in their head what it's going to be like when you maybe sit in a room and, and talk to somebody face to face. If we get down to the basics, I mean, what exactly does a therapist do? Or, you know, like what exactly do you do? Yeah, so it's a great question. Um, and I guess ultimately when we talk about therapy, there's lots of different types of therapy. Um, so one of the things to be thinking about is, is it a talking therapy, which is what I offer? Mm-hmm. Um, but there's other types of therapy. You know, you'll see a lot more now emergence of things like music therapy or play therapy um, for children. 
Um, ecotherapy is very popular now. The things like sea swimming, um, uh, hiking while you're having, talking to somebody. But ultimately what I do um, and what therapy often is referred to is, as talking therapy. So, yeah. And really what it is, is a conversation. Um, and I think you're right that people can build it up to be something beyond beyond that. Um, ultimately, it is a conversation between two people, but it's a very different conversation to that that you would have with people in everyday life. And um, so my role as a therapist is very much to listen rather than um, to, you know, often if you talk to friends and family, they're very quick to, with the best of intentions, delve in with advice um, about what you should do. And it's not to say that I don't at times give people advice or give them direction, but I listen first and then that comes afterwards. Um, and all the time, I suppose what I'm doing is we use a word called formulation or formulating a plan um, with somebody based off of all of the information that they've gave me. Um, and so therefore, the advice that I give them comes from both my own like knowledge from my training and um, from the theories um, and then from their experience as well. Brilliant, brilliant. And I suppose if if somebody needed to go to therapy, I know um, I first reached out to a therapist probably, I'd say, eight years ago. I was kind of struggling. I had just found out that my mum had been uh, diagnosed with terminal cancer. Um, Well, even at that stage, I think it was just the fact that she was sick in the first place. And, you know, I'd already lost my dad and I was like, oh, my God, this is crazy. Mm -hmm. What's going on? Um, And I remember specifically going to a Galway shopping centre. I met with one of my really good friends at the time and he sat me down and he was like, you know, you don't have to deal with this by yourself. Um, because I'm the eldest as well, I was like, oh, I don't want to be, you know, burdening anybody with the things that's are, that are going on in my head. And I know he was like, look, I'll give you this number of a of a woman that I've gone to. Um, and I just set up the meeting and I don't know what spurred me on to go and do it, but maybe it was because he shared his experience and he got on really well. And I was like, OK, let's go, because a lot of the time, maybe people can get, kind of get held back by, you know, oh, I can't afford it or, you know, oh maybe I can't drive there today Um, because I always think look if you're able to go out and you can buy five or six cocktails of a weekend or you know you treat yourself to a couple of bits and pieces and pennies or Zara or whatever it is I'm like you definitely can afford to to give yourself um, a therapy session Um, if there was somebody in that position and they're just they think they want to go but they're maybe a little bit apprehensive what what maybe advice could you give them? Yeah, I think, you know, you've mentioned a couple of really good points there that it can be really difficult to find somebody as well. But the first thing is, I guess, if there's somebody close to you that you can talk to about even the idea yeah. of going to therapy, that you, you would be surprised how many people then you might speak to who would say, actually, here's somebody that I went to speak to or here's somebody that I know my mom went to speak to or something along those yeah. kind of lines. Um, the, the hardest part of any therapy is that first appointment mm-hmm. um and i suppose really what you, you know what, you, what somebody like that who might be in that stage is looking for is trying to find somebody who's appropriate for them um and as a psychologist i suppose what i would say is i i recognize that that might not always be an easy process yeah and um, so it's important for people to understand though that there's a huge difference in terms of um what a counselor is what a psychotherapist is what a psychologist is um, and, and maybe if it's okay, I'll just explain a little yeah. bit of that because that's, I think that's what people don't understand. Definitely. Um, so, so anybody who's working as a counsellor or a psychotherapist typically has um, maybe up to like a master's level qualification in their training. So the training is one part to look at. Um, and a psychologist, um, a clinical psychologist, a counselling psychologist like myself um, or an educational psychologist would typically have a doctorate level of qualification. So we've done that e- extra bit of training. Um, 
if you were working, if you were going to see somebody either privately or within the public system, um, a counsellor or a psychotherapist in theory would see mild to moderate kind of cases. So anybody who maybe it's their first time ever um, experiencing therapy and they're maybe going because they've just noticed that they're starting to get anxious or their mood is starting to get low or maybe things around their self-esteem, that kind of thing. Um, whereas the psychology part of it really comes in then when it's a much more complex thing. So any kind of traumas, um, complicated grief, um, severe depression, personality issues, all of those kind of things. So in theory, that's what it's supposed to look like. But the reality is we've also got a lot of very experienced counsellors and psychotherapists who've done additional training then in those kind of areas. Um, and the reason that I mention that as well is because then the if you're going privately, mm-hmm. the cost of those will vary significantly. Yeah. Um, so if you're somebody who is in a more, it's your first time ever engaging and you're not really sure what you're looking for or you're only going because it's it's more milder, in terms of what we would call psychological so it's maybe your first time experiencing anxiety or something like that then a counsellor or a psychotherapist a really good one will be more than able to meet your needs and will financially be less than a psychologist and so those are just little things to be aware of and that if somebody is listening I think it's really important to because people can be very confused themselves about all these different uh, terms and things like that you know totally Um, and I think you know the cost around it is huge as well I know I've probably I don't know, probably spent thousands. But at the same time, I often say to people, they're like, oh, my gosh, you're you're a great woman to go on the radio. And, you know, even uh, dealing with when your mum passed away and everything. And I was like, if I if I literally didn't go for those therapy sessions, I don't think I'd be still doing the job that I do now. But at the same time, I kind of prioritized those therapy sessions rather than, you know, maybe going out and buying myself new shoes or, you know, that new dress or whatever it was. It was just yeah. it was as if I, you know, it was something that I absolutely needed to do for myself as well. And I find that, you know, people do toy with, oh, well, will I go on a waiting list or, or that type of thing? Have you any idea if somebody was to try and go through the public health care system, um, what the waiting list is like? Because I know I talk about it on the radio all the time, the lack of resources on mental health in you know the public sector and and the HSE so I can only imagine what you're going to say (laughs) yeah I mean it varies so much depending um, on the service and the location um I I would have to look into it specifically but I would say on average you're probably talking like up to between a year and two years for 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 input particularly I suppose I work a lot with children Um, we're hearing from a lot of parents that maybe would be told you know you, your child won't be seen for assessment even never mind actual therapy just to get assessed to see what they need until about a two-year two-year mark which is it's, it's scary yeah. um you know and I think it's really frustrating for a lot of psychologists in the country because we have a huge amount of um psychology students who have maybe done um a degree and a master's and really want the experience working clinically and could be working with more milder presentations um, and then we've got this like real shortage of psychologists working in the public system and there's nothing to bridge the gap between between the two. Um, and, and certainly then within um, private settings, the, the, the waiting list might not necessarily be as high. Again, yeah. it'll depend on the service and stuff like that. Um, but for my own, for example, my own waiting list, I won't be able to take on any new clients now until the new year. Wow. Um, and uh, there are other psychologists within the practice that have some availability, but even that is filling up very quickly. Um, and, and I think really interestingly, one of the things is that we do very little marketing of our practice. So this is just word of mouth people coming to us. Um, and the reason that I don't do that as well is because I feel very bad about, you know, advertising that we're a service I and then people come in and it's like you have to wait. Um, and yeah. so, so there's a very there's a clear reason why we don't do that. But on one hand, it's helpful because it think you're, it's, it's positive saying that people are reaching out for support mm-hmm. when they need it. 
Um, but I'm a huge advocate then of when somebody takes that massive step. So like what we talked about a minute ago, somebody yeah. who might really want that therapy and they've built themselves up to that appointment that they should really be seen so, so quickly because not only do you have to take that first step, but you have to be in the right place to engage in therapy as well, you know? And, and so if somebody's built themselves up and they're at a place where they're ready to engage and then they have to wait a year, yeah, anything could happen in that year and then they're not ready anymore. And that's not a, that's not a criticism of them. We all have to be ready in order to engage. Yeah, that's so true because it is, it's a huge step trying to, you know, go into that room and sit down. Um, You know, do you think that maybe I suppose COVID has had uh, an impact on the way that people maybe go about their, their daily lives? I know, um, you know, I've, I've gone back to my own counselor um a couple of times and I don't know if it's the, if it's a work environment. I know that I've had a lot of changes in my work at times, but, um, you know, especially in, in the last year or so, I found myself getting really overwhelmed uh, with certain work situations. Um, I had a, a, a point where I actually was pulling over on the side of the road after work um, with panic attacks. And I was kind of going, what's wrong with me? Like how, what's, what's going on? Um, and like that, I was kind of, you know, I ha- actually had physical symptoms and I was trying to pinpoint, you know, what's going on? What's, what's this? I went to the doctor and they were like, no, we can't figure out what it is. They even went to the point of sending me for a brain scan because, you know, they were mm-hmm. like, it, it could be something neurological. We'll go and get it checked out. But in the end, it was like you're dealing with severe anxiety. You know, you're you're taking taking on too much in work. And, you know, I suppose work work can only do so much other than sit beside you to find out what's going on. But in that time, I was like, OK, if I'm being really anxious and I've gotten to the point where I'm getting physical symptoms of panic attacks and, you know, headaches and all of this kind of stuff, then I need to go back and sit with my therapist and, you know, make a plan as to how I can sort it out. But, you know, you sometimes never realise that things creep up on you and you get totally, totally consumed by a situation or what you're dealing with in work until it actually manifests itself physically, which is that's the first time it had happened to me. But I'm sure there's loads of people like that dealing with tough situations where the resources mightn't be there anymore in a workplace but you're you're there trying to I suppose help yourself um through whatever means you can yeah absolutely and I think you know COVID God it has so much to answer for in terms of um our mental health so I, I would always have been an advocate for people having uh, some time and taking time to themselves yeah. and reflecting on their thoughts and then COVID took it so far one way that we'd all had so much time to think that it wasn't necessarily good for us either but then I guess, particularly as things emerged out of COVID, and I do think that in, in, in our country specifically, because of the way that the restrictions were lifted so quickly um, when it came to it, that we then sort of emerged straight back into, OK, everybody's back to work. Everybody's kind of you know, no more working from home. Um, you can do some remote work if your company or organisation allows you to do that, all those kind of things. So we got straight back into things very quickly. Yeah. Um, and our bodies maybe are only now catching up to both what we experienced during COVID and now. Um, and even the knock-on effect it's great that we can work from home that there's that flexibility but then people are lacking in their social connections with other people we also can't forget that the messages that we received throughout covid were so strong of danger stay apart stay away from each other all those kind of things and and when you've heard and experienced that for such a long time it's only natural that your body then has a reaction to it and and for a lot of people that will mean that they have now become quite anxious and we see it again i work a lot with children so I see it a lot in, <clears throat> excuse me, um, teenagers who typically would be past the point where you would expect them to experience separation anxiety. 
but actually now they are. Um, and it's when we look at it, the trajectory of it, it's actually because of all through COVID, they were told like, you know, stay with your family. Yeah. And now all of a sudden let's go back into school um, and, and, and everything will be okay. And I really think we're maybe only starting to see the mental health implications of COVID right now. Um, and it'll be interesting to see when there's lots of really good research happening, what the outcomes of that are, what that tells us about it. Um, but I certainly think, you know, you're not alone in terms of experiencing that anxiety that you've mm. described there. And one of the biggest things that I see in my practice is um, adults coming with burnout from work. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's because we were working. Work was the only thing we kind of had during COVID if you were in a position where you were working. So you were really giving it everything. Um, and then you've gone back into like a workplace and maybe for different reasons, there's less people around and um, maybe like management has changed all of those different reasons. But there's a huge amount of people coming with burnout from work. Um, and I, again, it'd be interesting to see as time develops. What's what does the research tell us? Why is that happening? But there's definitely some sort of link there. Yeah, I, I, I often wonder myself, is it because during COVID, like we were so switched on, you know, we were only communicating through social media and we had Zooms and I know we're on a Zoom at the minute but I suppose one of the great things is that it allowed us to connect with people um, through the internet and everything but now I find it's almost like we never switch off like I know at work you know I'm I'm like on the phone nearly instantly when I wake up I'm like what's today's trending story what can I talk about today and then you know you never really get a chance to switch off and depending on your work dynamic then you know you've all these different factors coming at you and you have your brain is trying to comprehend everything and even though you might only be in the office for your couple of hours, it's like you never from the morning, from the, the time you wake up in the morning to the time you put your phone beside your bed um, or hopefully outside the door uh, when you when you go to sleep, like you you're so instantly able to contact people and people can contact you. So it's like yeah. you never get a break, like you never right. ever switch off. The amount of people I've met over the last couple of months that are completely burnt out um, and it's like the work just keeps coming at them. I don't know whether it's like inflation or whatever it is, but it's like, well, the work needs to be done um, and you just yeah. have to get it done. That's it. Yeah, yeah. I think that it's really difficult to have the same boundaries that we maybe would have had before COVID, but also then that sense of, as you said, they're being like instantly accessible and also this expectation, you know, yeah. that, you know, and I think what technology is great it's amazing that we can do a zoom it's amazing that during covid and lockdown we were able to have that um connection with people but what it's also done is like reinforce this idea that you should always be available all those little things like yeah. you know on whatsapp the little tick you've seen the message then people start thinking well you've seen it why haven't you replied um you know or i can see when you were last active all of those things have made us just instantly accessible to people um and i think then the impact then is that we feel the pressure of that all of the time you know, whether that's socially or even through work or stuff like that, you know, the idea that just I never really have a chance to switch off. Yeah. Um, you know, so so I, I definitely think there's a, there's a there's a lot um to be said for some of those boundaries around kind of technology and stuff like that, but not always easy to implement. No, it's not. It's funny that you <laughs> mentioned boundaries as well, because the last time I went back to my therapist, that was the number one thing she was like, Louise, like you're you're letting all of this into your space. You know, you're taking yeah. it all in Um, you know, you're you're reacting to everything that's going on in work. She was like, where are your boundaries? You know, and mm-hmm. it's something that I had to learn as well, that if I wasn't ready for something, I'd be like, hang on a minute. Let's just take a break 
can we can we push this aside and talk about it later you know because yeah. of that instantaneous we got to talk about this we got to do this we got to you know like it was a little bit I was finding that life in work and um it was mm-hmm. frantic and then it was like it was just chaos really and yeah. I just kind of had to go back to my own counselor and go right okay this is not working because I am I feel like I'm going insane and I'm going to hit a wall of some sort so she was like where are your boundaries you need to you know you need to set up your boundaries you know so it's yeah. really important it's really interesting that you've talked about that if somebody is experiencing let's just say it is work that things have changed maybe maybe their circumstances have changed they're working with different people they've got a new manager maybe they've been asked to do different hours how can somebody maybe deal with that I think um ideally it would be great if you've got a manager or somebody in a you know in that supervisory role who you're able to talk to mm-hmm. um about those kind of things and um, if that's not possible then I think like what you've mentioned they're going to talk to somebody to help you maintain those boundaries initially or even put them in in the first place yeah lots of people don't know how to put a boundary in mm-hmm. um and that can be things like you know how do I communicate to somebody that if I'm meant to finish work at five that I'm going to leave at five o'clock mm-hmm. how do I say that in a way that's not confrontational um, unfortunately, I think we tend to think of things as either black or white. So I either stay or I get into an argument about yes. leaving. And I think, no, actually, there can be a middle ground there where you're able to build the confidence in order to be able to communicate, you know, clearly, confidently, not um, confrontational at all, that actually you need to leave at five o'clock. Um, so having somebody to talk to, even in, you know, in, in our sessions, often what I would be doing would be like practicing that with people who might come yeah. to me. Those kind of things, like how could you say those kind of things? And I think it also goes back to, first of all, being really clear on what are my boundaries? Mm -hmm. Because if I don't know what they are, how am I ever going to enforce them? Um, So it can be really helpful to to go to somebody to have that kind of conversation. What would I like work to look like? What would I like separation from work and home to look like? Even really practical things, again, with people who maybe work from home. And one of the things that I work with a lot is how do you separate your workspace from your home space? Oh, yeah. Um, lots of really good like you know practical strategies that you can you can think about um, in, in that sense but talking to somebody and there's a lot to be said for talking to somebody that's not a friend or a family member yeah. um, because you're always going to feel like they're being a little bit biased to your side you know whereas if you go to somebody who's neutral who's saying like no actually I think it's okay that you want you know you're, you're supposed to finish work at five and you want to finish work at five so how do we make that happen and um, so that's where the neutral kind of party can be really helpful for somebody yeah definitely and I think it's so right that you know talking to somebody who isn't a friend because sometimes you know if you have a breakup and they're like oh well he wasn't good for you anyway well I know sometimes like anytime I've gone back to my counsellor and therapist to have a chat and like if I'm in need of a good kick up the bum she'll give it to me she'll be like you're not looking after yourself where's your self-care where's your boundaries you know it's that kind of thing of they know you like and and I know people might change their um, counsellor or therapist you know quite a few times um if they Mm -hmm. don't stick with them but it is having that um communication and that kind of relationship where they sometimes do call you out on things but it's only for your your own good you know to to make sure that you are looking after yourself and a lot of people would deal with you know anxiety as well and we hear a lot of people talking about it and how do you know if you're anxious enough to maybe go and seek help, because there can be a bit of a stigma around it. I still find that I'd be very, very open about talking about um, therapy. And I know that a lot of my friends, after sharing how I've got on with it over the years, they've kind of gone, maybe it's not so scary. Maybe I'll go and check it out. But even how do you differentiate, I suppose, anxiety from maybe needing to go and talk to somebody? Yeah, it's it's a really good question. And I guess one of the things that I'm a big advocate for is understanding that anxiety is an okay thing to experience. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so um, I have a, a, a kind of an online course that looks at this specifically around living with anxiety and learning yeah. that actually our relationship with anxiety needs to change. I think it's amazing that we've got so much mental health information out there, but I think then it's tipped into think people thinking that it's wrong if you feel anxious. Yeah. Um, it's very normal to feel anxious in situations such as if you were going for an interview, um, if you had a hospital appointment, um, if you're somebody who doesn't like driving and you're taking a new route and you feel anxious doing all those things, that's all very normal, very healthy and very appropriate anxiety. I think the point at which you would maybe want to think about going to speak to somebody is where that anxiety stops you from doing things that you want to do in everyday life. So it impacts on what we call like your daily functioning. So, for example, you know, you mentioned they're kind of pulling over after work and having the sensations yeah. of panic attack. That's not appropriate anxiety. So that is the point at which somebody would want to be. So you're looking for things like your physical symptoms. And um, again, if you're having physical symptoms, if you're feeling nauseous because you're about to go in for an interview, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. If it leaves you shortly after the interview, then that's all very appropriate anxiety. But if you are experiencing that day on day mm-hmm. with no real clear link and not understanding why, then that's not appropriate anxiety. And we're looking at your behavior as well. If you notice that you're avoiding things, mm-hmm. so not going out to meet friends, maybe um, even things like, you know, after COVID, we see a lot of people do like online shopping. They won't go near the shops and they don't want to go out for a walk. Um, or if you notice that other people are trying to encourage you to do things and you are feeling I don't want to do that and it's because I feel anxious, yeah. then that's not a normal level of anxiety. Um, and the, the, rea- the, the other side of it is if you come to somebody like myself, one of the first things I'll be doing is getting a sense of is your anxiety normal? Yeah. You know, so that's through our conversation. We also do what we call like psychometrics where we um, measure somebody's anxiety based off of the general kind of population and see how high or low it is. Okay. Um, and that's really helpful because it allows us to see if it changes over time you know um the difference but um as i said i can't reinforce enough how it's okay to feel anxious or you know students maybe feel anxious before exams it's all very normal um, and i think what we need to do is learn to understand this is my body reacting because i'm experiencing something that is stressful but learning then if it's in, at an inappropriate time so if i'm sitting at home in the evening watching tv and i feel anxious that's not appropriate yeah yeah that's so interesting as well and then I suppose one of the main things I wanted to ask you as well is that you know somebody themselves might be ready to take the step towards going to seek counselling but and then I suppose you know in the background you might have family members that think it's you know a load of hocus pocus or this that or the other and mm-hmm. um, and I feel I really feel talking to some some people um in my life you know throughout the years that they probably would go and do it if they didn't feel that stigma from family members friends I, I especially find it with men maybe you know that yeah. they might need to go and talk to somebody but you know, it's it's kind of thought upon that, well, maybe there's something wrong with me if I go and do that, which, you know, yeah. isn't isn't a fact at all. No, not at all. And I think um, I'm a huge advocate for, I'm obviously biased in terms of my role, but that I think everybody should have a block of therapy yeah. um, every couple of years. Um, I think there's nobody that I would meet that wouldn't benefit from having six appointments with somebody every couple of years just to have a chance to chat. Um, but that stigma is very real and it does exist. Um, and I think, you know, all if, if it's if you have a family member or a friend or somebody, then all you can do is, is, I suppose, encourage them to attend. But it's also not helpful to sort of, you know, force somebody into attending yeah. if they're not ready, because it's going to create this negative association somewhere that they don't want to be. Um, I, I guess it's, it's great now, I think, that you know a lot of um therapists uh, counselors psychotherapists the whole, the whole lot of us are kind of on social media to some mm-hmm. degree and part of the reason that i have that is 
I suppose I would like to think that if somebody is encouraging a family member to come and see me, that that might be a way of easing into it. Yeah. You know, you can follow her online and see, get a sense of how she practices and what she's like. Um, But we can't force somebody, as I said earlier, like they have to be ready, you know, in, in order to go. I think that that stigma is changing with yeah. time. Certainly my experience of it is that, you know, there are some people who would have come to appointments with me that I know have maybe done, um, you know, have walked the block before they've come in to make sure that nobody will see them come in. Yeah. Or they've come in and they're wearing a cap. Um, or a big coat and stuff like that. And what I tend to see is over those appointments that starts to go mm-hmm. um, and they realize that, OK, this isn't, um, you know, uh, such a bad thing for me to be doing. And there certainly doesn't have to be anything wrong with somebody before they come to therapy. And um, as I said, everybody will benefit from having somebody to talk to. And, you know, that's that old cliche of like related to your physical health. Yeah. And, you know, if something, you know, if you had a difficulty with your physical health, you would go and, and see the doctor. So if it's in terms of your mental health, you should go and speak to somebody. Um, so, yeah, I'd like to think that that stigma is changing. And I think, unfortunately, some of the, the, the time there's a stigma in an older generation. Yeah. Um, and so I would see a lot of maybe people in their early 20s who are really recognizing that they might need support. But um, with their maybe parents or grandparents or aunties and uncles, it's very much been seen as if they're it's a privilege to go and speak to somebody for therapy or there's a, you know there's a stigma around it there for them. And um, so there's definitely still a barrier in terms of that but I'd like to think that it's it's shifting kind of slowly yeah definitely I even found you know from the conversation of not not I wouldn't have necessarily hid where I was going um you know seven or eight years ago but I'd be like oh yeah I've got an appointment or whatever and then slowly but surely and now I'm like oh yeah I'm popping into you know my counselor on Wednesday morning Mm -hmm. um will you feed the dog or whatever you know or I'll say to my partner um you know oh I've got a counseling session um will I meet you for lunch afterwards before I go to work or that type of thing you know and it's it's kind of the confidence around what I deem as it's it's you know I would put it ahead of um you know I I suppose a holiday of sorts do you know that kind of Mm -hmm. way I'm like Mm -hmm. I make sure that it's it's something that I I take very seriously and something that I kind of think I wouldn't I wouldn't do without now not that I not that I go all the time but it's it's always nice to know that if you are if you do need to talk to somebody that every time I leave the session, it's like, oh, you know, we're done now for a little while. Give me a shout whenever you want to chat. And I know I right now I'll probably go back in around Christmas time um, because yeah. I find Christmas very hard. But, you know, it's it's that type of thing of like, OK, see you later, you know, and I would hate for anybody to think that it's this it's this way that it's portrayed in um you know movies and stuff where you're being completely analyzed and all of that kind of thing when really my experience anyway is that it's a lovely chat I suppose before I let you go um can you talk us through what might actually happen um in a session if anybody would like to know yeah so um again it'll be a little bit different for who you go to see but generally speaking if you're going for a first appointment then somebody is going to be wanting to get a little bit of history from you mm-hmm. and understand a little bit about like what's brought you here why now um what would you like to get out of the therapy and um, so asking your history they might not go into like a full history but they'll want to know any key like significant kind of things that have happened but it's really important for people to know that you don't have to share everything yeah. in that first appointment you know really remembering that you are the one that's in control of what you share and so in that first appointment you might just want to be getting to know somebody so you might not share everything and, and that's okay um we ask about things like you know have you how long have you experienced if it's anxiety how long have you been experiencing are you on any medication for it all those kind of things um and then after that, they, generally speaking, you would have an agreement with the person about, you know, OK, so here's what we're going to work on. It's going to be your anxiety. So now you know 
what, what's going to come up in the next sessions. Um, again, I can't encourage enough people to remember their own autonomy in the session. So if you want to know what's going to happen in the next session, you're allowed to say, you know, I want, what are we going to talk about in the next session? Because I would like to know that. Um, so really remembering it's a two way process. It's not just me as a therapist deciding what we talk about, but really and truly it should be a collaborative thing and you should be involved in that. So but but that's generally what's covered in the first appointment. And then after that, it'll be what we call sometimes like psychoeducation. So giving you information about what is anxiety, what does it look like, what's what's our fight or flight response, what are the physical symptoms? Um, we talk about like a cycle of anxiety, those kind of things. So a lot of psychoeducation and then trying to relate it to, you know, maybe you have a goal that there's something that you would like to go to with friends. So we would focus on that on an appointment and give people an idea of like, OK, well, what's the challenges here? Maybe helping them think a little bit differently about it during the session. And some therapists will give you like homework, so to speak, yeah. that you go away and try, but not everybody will. And again, that's where sometimes people will say to me, I don't want to do that. And I'll say, that's OK, we'll just keep it with with what's going on in the session. There should also be a conversation around how many appointments do you think you're going to need? Um, how many would you like to attend? How often you would like to attend? All of those things. And um, so it'll vary from person to person, but those would be the kind of things that would be talked about. Yeah, that's so interesting. And I really hope that helps anybody listening if they're mm. thinking about it and they're a little bit unsure. And um, Patricia, it's been so, so lovely to have a chat to you. Um, and maybe down the road, I'd love to talk to you about, you know, the likes of cognitive behavioral therapy and, you know, all of the other types of therapies that you had a chat to me about at the very, very start. I think it's so interesting. And I think people would really love to hear that as well. But I know you've mm-hmm. got your own podcast. You are active mm-hmm. on social media and everything. So if people want to reach out um, and they want to maybe take listen to your own podcast um and maybe say hello yeah. on social media where is the best place to go um thanks very much i guess the podcast is called thinking about therapy and it's intended to have these kind of um, conversations that we're having here really open conversations and otherwise in terms of trying to find me i'm on instagram or facebook as dr patricia barber um, and then my psychology practice is mypsychologyireland.com Thank thanks very so much for much. having me not at all thank you so much and i think that was so interesting um and i really hope uh, it's helped people but um yeah thank you so much for joining me on girly bits thank you So there you go. Once again, massive, massive thank you to Dr. Patricia Barber. I think she was so, so lovely and kind and easy to talk to. And I think, again, you know, if you are struggling with work or your home life or a relationship or something like that, I think it is it is well worthwhile going to talk to somebody. Um, I know sometimes people might think of radio as having rose tinted glasses on that everything is absolutely fabulous and brilliant. But I myself, I definitely I've definitely over the last year or so struggled with work and the stress and the pressures. And I have to say that when I reached out to go back to my counsellor to get things right in my head and to focus on the right things and set up your boundaries that it really, really definitely helps. So I hope you've enjoyed listening to that podcast. As always, my DMs are open if you want to give me a a shout and I'll always try and reply as best I can. Louise Clark Radio on Instagram and you can also email me louiseclarkmedia at gmail.com. Thank you so, so much. Don't forget, if you are enjoying the podcast, please share it with your friends. Maybe like and subscribe or give it a rating on Spotify or wherever you're listening because I would love to continue doing this 
this because I enjoy it every single week. And I have to say, I'm blown away by all of the messages that I've gotten from people so far. Um, a lot of people have reached out to me after the uh, Ashling O'Connor episode. So I'm so grateful that you have. And I'm really, really thankful that it's been helping so many people. So once again, thank you so much. And I'll catch you next week for another episode of Girly Bits. <laughs>